Ephesians 3, and I'm going to read verses 8 through 13. And then next week, we're going to wrap up Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is... Your glory. Father, open our hearts and our minds. Reveal your gospel. Reveal Christ to us through the pages, through the words of your scripture. Lord, change us and transform us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Paul is writing this uh, letter to the church at Ephesus. He is a prisoner. Remember last week we looked at this. Paul says, the prisoner of Christ Jesus He wasn't a prisoner of Caesar. He wasn't a prisoner of Rome. He was a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And he was a prisoner because he preached the gospel. The Apostle Paul experienced great tribulation. He went through much suffering in his life. And he did that for the sake of the gospel. And just as Paul wrote, I am am an apostle by the will of God. Remember we said he was a willing apostle. He wasn't an apostle by his own will. He was an apostle by the will of God. But he willingly walked in that calling as an apostle. It was the same with Paul's suffering. It's not that Paul wanted to suffer. It's not that Paul enjoyed the beatings and the shipwrecks and being stoned and left for dead. It's not that he enjoyed being rejected by his countrymen to the point that he had to flee cities uh, for because of their persecution. It's not that Paul enjoyed that, but Paul walked in those things willingly, and he walked in those things joyfully because it was for the sake of the gospel. And this is where we need to understand this is how we need to hold the tribulation that comes to our own lives. You might not have tribulation in your life because someone is persecuting you because of your faith in Jesus. You might be battling with sickness. You might be battling with um, financial issues. You might be battling who knows what, maybe family issues. It's still tribulation. Paul battled sickness in his body. Paul obviously had a condition where he was either legally blind or going blind because he couldn't even write his own letters. Someone had to write those letters for him. He says to to the Philippian church, he said, if you could take out your eyes and give them to me, I know you would do that. But all that he suffered, he suffered with joy. 
And this is what the scripture commands us. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It puts no qualification on that. It doesn't say rejoice when I feel like rejoicing. It doesn't say rejoice when everything is going great and I have an obvious reason to rejoice. It says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And we are able to do that because of who God is, because God has revealed what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. That God didn't just speak of love. God didn't just write a letter about love. But God sent love in the person of Jesus Christ to die and to redeem his people from their sin. And so Paul's writing this letter to the believers. And he says this in verse 8. He says, to me... He's talking about this grace that was given to him. This grace to preach the gospel. This grace to teach the gospel. This grace that was given to him by the effective working of God's power. He said, this grace was given to me. Well, who am I? He says, to me who am less than the least of the saints, this grace was given. That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. To me who am less than the least of all the saints. Now this is the man who wrote two-thirds of our New Testament. And he calls himself the least of all the saints. And this is not a statement that Paul makes out of false humility. This isn't Paul just trying to be pious. This isn't Paul just trying to you know, sound humble. This is a statement of faith born out of Paul's revelation of Christ and his own sinfulness. When Paul received his revelation of Christ, when God made Christ known to Paul, when Christ was revealed in Paul, and that's what Paul says, when it pleased God to separate me from my mother's womb and to reveal Christ in me, That moment that Paul received a revelation of Christ, Paul also received a revelation of his own sinfulness. And you remember where Paul was when he received that revelation of Christ. He was on his way to murder Christians. Paul came to know the depth of his own depravity masked in self-righteousness and a false belief that he was justified by the deeds of the law. Paul facilitated the murder of those following Jesus to defend the lie that he so zealously embraced. But grace was given to him, not because Paul deserved it, but because God chose to give grace, though it was clearly undeserved. And it wasn't just undeserved for Paul. The grace that you have received from God in Jesus Christ was not deserved by you or by me, but yet it was given to us by God. And in that moment that Christ was revealed in Paul, God transformed him from death to life, from darkness to light, from an enemy to a minister of the gospel. And Paul says, to me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Grace was given to Paul in spite of his sinful depravity, that he should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. 
And Paul came to see the depth of his depravity and sin and his death through sin. And so he came to see something even deeper. What Paul came to see that was deeper than his sin, what Paul came to see that was deeper than his own depravity was the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul can now see the depth of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And grace was given to him to make known to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And because that grace was given to Paul, you and I are here today and we are discussing that very grace. We're here today and we are talking about those unsearchable riches that have been given to us in Jesus Christ because grace was given to the Apostle Paul and many others like him throughout the ages so that the gospel has come down to us today. From a prison in Rome, this letter was written so that 2,000 years later, a church in Taylor, Texas could read this letter that Paul wrote from a prison cell in Rome. This is the hope that we are to have, church. Isaiah the prophet said, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. It says his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. We talk about that a lot at Christmas time. We sing about that at Christmas time. But do you understand that we are a product today of that prophecy? That what God proclaimed 750 years before the birth of Jesus, we are now living 2,000 years after the birth and after the death of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is not fading away. The gospel is not being overcome by the evil of this world, by the darkness of this world. The gospel was a seed that God planted in the beginning when he created heaven and earth. And the gospel is growing and growing and growing to the point that from a prison cell in Rome, a letter was written to a city in what is today modern day Turkey, is now being read in a little church in a little community called Taylor, Texas that didn't even exist in the imagination of anyone's mind except God when this letter was penned some 2,000 years ago. Yet God knew there would be a Taylor, Texas, and God knew there would be a Christ Fellowship, and God knew that each and every one of you, and we would all be in this place on this very day discussing this very letter that God inspired his apostle to write. Don't buy the lie that the gospel is not working. The gospel is working. Of his government and peace there shall be no End of the actually what it says of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. The increase of his government and peace continues 
It is increasing. And the fact that we are in this room today talking about it is proof positive that it is. If Christianity could have been stamped out, it would have been stamped out long ago. If Christianity could have been extinguished, if the gospel could have been silenced and buried and put away, it would have been silenced and buried and put away long ago. There have been so many conspiracy theories. There have been so many lies, so many logical explanations for for who Jesus was or who Jesus wasn't. But yet, the gospel continues to march on. The increase of his government and peace continues to increase. And the gospel has spread to the utter ends of the earth. And this is why of all people that live on planet earth, the believers... The followers of Jesus Christ, Christians, should be people who have the greatest hope, the greatest optimism, the greatest confidence, not because everything's the way we want it to be, because it is not, but because God has made a promise and he will not fail on his promise. God sent his son, his son has come. His gospel is here. His spirit has been poured out. And there is no force of hell. There is no force of man. There is no force in this creation that can stop what God has begun. Philippians 1.6 says, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What God has begun in you, he will complete. That is his promise. Because that is part of the promise that the increase of his government and peace shall have no end. And the place that his government and peace needs to increase first and foremost is in your own heart. And as his government and peace increases in your heart, guess what? It will increase all around you. This is the grace that was given to Paul. This is the gospel That was given to him. This is the message of hope. This is the good news. This is the grace that was given to Paul. And made known to the Gentiles. This is the unsearchable riches of Christ that we speak of. Verse 9. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. And to make all see. Paul is not saying that he will make all see. I can't make you see anything. I can't make you believe anything. It's not my job to talk you into believing into Jesus. It's not my responsibility to to have a great, inspiring sermon, to be so charismatic and so persuasive that you decide you want to believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus because I can persuade you to believe in him, then your faith is based on something false. Because if I can talk you into believing into Jesus, there's somebody out there that can talk you out of believing into Jesus, of believing in Jesus. And if your faith in Jesus is, is the product of someone talking you into believing, 
then just hold on because someone's going to come along that can talk you out of believing. No, your faith has got to be a product of the gift of God that he deposits in you by his grace. Your faith has got to come from God. It can't come from a man. And Paul says, this grace was given to me to make all see What Paul endeavored to make men see by proclaiming and teaching the message of the gospel, this is what he did. He proclaimed the gospel, and it was the power of the gospel that caused men to see. We are never to believe that we are responsible or able to make men see in this way. Paul was a messenger, not a salesman. He was a messenger to all and a teacher to those who would be taught. He could not, nor can we, make any man see. We cannot give any man a revelation of Christ. Only God can do that by the power of his Holy Spirit. We point out the need. We point to the gospel But ultimately, it is God that must cause you to see. It is God that has to open your blind eyes. It's God that has to open your deaf ears. It's God that has to raise you from the dead and give you life so that you can see and hear and respond to the Savior. It is the power of the Spirit that does that. This is the work of the Spirit to raise men from the dead and to sanctify them. Or, we could say it like this, to raise men from the dead and thereby conform them to the image of Jesus Christ. This is the most important work of the Spirit of God in you is to reveal Christ to you, to give you eyes to see Jesus that the Spirit of God shone a light in your dark heart, and out of that light that He shone in your heart, you now can see the glory of God made known to you in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 6 talks about. The same God who shone a light out of darkness in the first creation is the God who will shine a light in your heart to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is how we come to see, by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We are commanded to preach and to teach and to live the message of the gospel for this very reason. For the gospel and the gospel alone is the power of God to salvation to all who believe. That's what Paul writes in Romans 1.16. And to make all see, what is the fellowship of the mystery Now, Paul talks about this mystery in several of his letters. The mystery is the gospel. The gospel that is to be preached to all, both Jew and Gentile. The mystery hidden before the ages was that God's plan of salvation would come to all men, was for the world, not just for the nation of Israel, not for just a a corner of the world, but it was for all the world. Not for every single human being, or there would be no one that would go to hell. 
when God's when the word says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, what God is saying is my plan of salvation, my son will die for the sins of the world. That means not just the people who live in the nation of Israel, but the people who live in South America and North America and China and Russia and in every other part of the globe. They'll be white, they'll be black, they'll be brown, they'll be red, they'll be yellow, they'll speak all kinds of languages, they'll come from all different backgrounds. They'll be Jews and they'll be Gentiles, they'll be male and they'll be female, they'll be slave and they'll be free, they'll be rich, they'll be poor. This is the mystery that the gospel is to be preached to all, that the gospel is powerful to save all who believe and the gospel that communicates the free grace of God given to all men born again in Christ both Jew and Gentile the fellowship of the mystery is our partnership it's our participation that's what the word fellowship means koinonia it speaks of a partnership, of a participation, our communication, and our communion in the grace of God revealed to us in the gospel of Christ. The fellowship of the mystery is in the Spirit of God, and it is in the Spirit of God that we have fellowship with Christ, with the Father, and with one another. Which from the beginning of the ages, this mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. This mystery, which is the gospel of Christ, has been hidden in God from the beginning of the ages. It's been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Paul writes this to inform us that Jesus Christ has always been at the center of the eternal plan and purpose of the triune God. When Genesis says, let us make man, it's God's not talking to the angels. Let us is a picture of the triune Godhead, a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we know the us is the Godhead because the Bible teaches us right here that God the Father created all things through Jesus Christ. Jesus was with the Father. The Spirit was with the Son and with the Father at creation. But it was through the Son, it was through Jesus Christ that all things were created by Him, for Him, and through Him. Paul points this out so that we understand who this Christ is that we worship. Who this Christ is that is at the center of all of God's plan and purpose. And that purpose is to gather together into one all things in Christ. For it is through Christ that all things were created. And it is through Christ that all things have been reconciled to God. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Let me read that to you. 2 Corinthians 5, 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul writes this, And by him, that is by Jesus Christ, 
and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. We looked at this a few weeks back. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Now why is God doing this? What is the point of this mystery? What is the point of all this that God is doing? What is the point of the gift of grace? And what is the point of the message of grace? And what is what is God up to in all of this? Well, verse 10 tells us this. To the intent, here's the intent of God, that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. I want to park on this for a moment. I want you to understand the magnitude of this verse. I want you to understand what this verse is communicating about you and I. We are the church. The church is not just this building. The church is not just a, a place where the people of God meet. You are the church. The word church in the Greek means the called out assembly. It's the assembly of called out ones. That's the literal meaning of the, the word ecclesia. Ecclesiastes, ecclesial, the ecclesic, I'm sorry. The ecclesiastical, churchy, that's really what that word means. Ecclesiastical, of the church, ecclesia. That's what that word means. It is the called out assembly, the assembly of called out ones. That's what the church is. You are the assembly of called out ones. And why did God call you out? Why did God call you out of the world? Why did God call you out of death? Why did God call you out of darkness? Why did God make you light in the Lord? Why has God given you life in Jesus Christ? Well, here's one of the reasons. To the intent that now the manifold, the multicolored, multifaceted wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Paul's preaching and teaching of the gospel is with the intent that men may now see what has been hidden from the beginning of the ages. The gospel of God's grace given to men in Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God hidden and ordained before the ages for our glory. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. He goes on right there and he says, had the rulers of this world known, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. Had they known what? Had they known the mystery? Had they known what God had planned? If they had known what God's intention was in crucifying Jesus, they would have never 
crucified Jesus. If the devil would have known what God was going to accomplish by crucifying Jesus, the devil would never have allowed Jesus to have been crucified. The only problem with that is the devil didn't have the power to stop Jesus from being crucified. Because Acts chapter 4 verse 31 tells us whose plan and whose purpose and who was the ultimate power behind the crucifixion of Jesus. It was God himself. And the reason God himself ordained the murder of his son was that through the murder of his son at the hands of sinful men, God would accomplish something that was so beyond Man's wisdom that was so beyond what man or demons or the devil himself could ever imagine. That Paul says, had they understood what was being accomplished through the work of the cross, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The law and the prophets testify of this mystery. It's foreshadowed throughout the Old Testament scripture. But it was not revealed or made manifest as it is now with the advent of Christ and the work of the cross finished and the Spirit of God poured out into the hearts of His people. The revelation of Christ and the revelation of the gospel is now to the intent that the manifold, the multifaceted, multi-sided wisdom of God would be made known by the church, by His people. God has chosen before the ages to make his wisdom known through the church, through the called out assembly that he redeemed by the blood of his son. The church, the people of God, are the display of God's wisdom and grace and love through time and eternity. You are the display of God's wisdom and love and grace throughout all eternity. And who is this main Made known to, it says it's being made known to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Do you see this for what it is, church? Do you see the privilege that God has given to you to make known to powers and to principalities His wisdom and grace and love through time and through eternity? That he is making known to all creation his grace that's given to us in Jesus Christ. The manifold wisdom of God made known in the grace of God also reveals the justice of God, the righteousness of God, and the love of God, and the judgment of God that was brought upon his Son and brought upon this world in the cross. John twelve thirty one says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Jesus spoke those words just hours before he would be arrested and ultimately taken to the cross. This is what we give witness to. So here's what this scripture teaches us, that there is an unseen realm that is seeing. There are truly watchers that are watching. And they are watching as the wisdom of God is made known through our lives. We are to live mindful of our witness to God's grace, 
that is given to us in Jesus Christ. We are to live mindful of this privilege for His glory. Are you mindful of what you give witness to? Are you mindful that there are powers and principalities, that there are watchers watching your very life? And your very life is communicating who you worship and what you worship and how you worship. Because we all worship. Worship is not defined by what happens here for two hours on a Sunday morning. Worship is defined by your life. And your life defines your worship. So who is the object of your worship? Is it you? Is it God? And God has done this. He's made this known. He's given us this privilege to make known. And He's done all of this according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. All the work of God in all of creation is according to the eternal purpose of God. The manifold wisdom of God made known by the church to principalities and powers in heavenly places and all of his eternal purpose in all things he has accomplished in Christ Jesus. Paul is specific in the title that he applies to Jesus. Look at this. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is very specific. It is Christ Jesus, our Lord. Christ indicates He is the anointed one of God. He is the Messiah. Jesus indicates He is the Savior. Jesus, Yeshua, means God saves. God will save His people. Our. He's not just an impersonal Christ. He's not just an impersonal Savior. He's our Savior. He came to save His people. Our indicates that He is the anointed Savior of those who belong to Him. We are His sheep. We hear His voice. We follow Him. The sheep that are not of His fold don't hear His voice and don't follow Him. Lord indicates that He is the supreme authority. He is the King of kings. And He is the Lord of lords. This is who rules over all the kings of the earth, as Revelation says, and over all creation because all things were created through him. If all things were created through him, that means he rules over all creation. The devil is a created being. Angels are created beings. Demons are created beings. Humans are created beings. Jesus is not created. He is the creator. And he rules over all according to the eternal purpose which God accomplished in Christ Jesus. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we have boldness We've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We have boldness and we have access to the Father, not timidly, but with confidence. 1 John 4.17 says, In this is love made manifest, that in the day of 
judgment, we have boldness, for as he is, so are we in this world. We can be assured that we are accepted in him because of the grace that he has wrought in Jesus Christ. We have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. You don't have that apart from faith in Jesus. Remember, there's only two types of people God sees in the world. He sees those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. And if you are in Christ, then you should have boldness and confidence toward God. If you are not in Christ, you should be scared to death. You say, well, how do I know, Pastor, whether I'm in Christ or not? Well, you need to make sure. Well, how do I do that? Call upon his name. Trust in him. All those who call upon his name shall be saved, Paul writes in Romans 10. Call upon his name. Trust in him. God's not looking for perfection. God is looking for faith. Jesus is the perfection that we could not be. Jesus is the perfection we will never be. So we don't put our trust in our ability to be perfect for God. We put our trust in the perfect one, Jesus Christ, who came and walked a walk that we could never walk ourselves. And he died a death that we could never die ourselves so that we could live a life that we could never live in ourselves. In Jesus Christ, we have boldness, we have faith. Romans 5, 1 and 2, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 1 John 5, 4 and 5, And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Are you trusting in Jesus? I didn't ask if you believe whether he's real or not. I'm, I'm asking, are you trusting in him? The devil believes in Jesus. The devil is not saved. The demons believe and tremble. They are not saved. Acknowledging God and saying, yeah, I believe in him, is not going to save you. God will save you. And if God has saved you, there will be a trust for God in your heart. Call upon his name. Seek him. If you seek him, he will be found. If you seek him with all of your heart. Verse 13. Paul writes, Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. So here's this church birthed by the Apostle Paul. This church, these believers in this city that ultimately caused Paul to be arrested and taken to Rome and ultimately ended in his execution in Rome. 
And these believers were aware of all the tribulation and all the suffering that Paul went through as a result of him coming to the city and preaching the gospel. And the believers were tempted to become discouraged and to lose heart because of the great suffering and tribulation that Paul experienced for them, as well as others that he preached the gospel to. And this is similar to those situations when people, maybe even ourselves, become discouraged and disheartened and we lose faith whether it's our own tribulation or whether it's the tribulation we see others going through and we begin to doubt God and we begin, begin to question God, we begin to wonder how God could allow someone to go through such suffering and tribulation and doubt begins to creep in. And this is what Paul is addressing here. He says, therefore, I ask you not to lose heart in my tribulation. Paul is asking that they do not lose heart but instead that they realize the glory that's associated with his tribulation and to understand that it is also their glory. For it was on behalf of them and others that he willingly and joyfully suffered all of these things. Paul understood that our suffering is bound up in the glory of God. And thus he penned the words recorded for us in 2 Corinthians 4.17 encouraging us in these words for our light affliction, which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Understand that Paul is not being sarcastic or facetious or flippant about suffering, but he is putting our momentary suffering in its proper context in relation to the eternal glory of God and all that has been eternally given to us in Jesus Christ. What we have in Christ is eternal. This world can't take it from you. Death can't take it from you. Death has been defeated. This world has been overcome. Sin was defeated at the cross. Death was defeated when Jesus came out of the tomb. If you are in Christ, you have overcome this world. If you are in Christ, you have overcome sin and you have overcome death. And there is nothing that can rob you of that. There is nothing that can snatch you out of God's hand. The Bible is very clear. Romans chapter 8, Paul writes in his letter, No created thing. I had a brother one time tell me, well, but you can jump out of his hand if you want to. I said, are you a created thing? Yes, you are. No created thing can separate you from the love of God. Salvation is not what you possess. Salvation is who possesses you. You are firmly in the grip of Jesus if you are his child. Therefore, we too should not lose heart because of tribulation. But we are to see the glory of God working in and through and above all things. Both the sweet and the bitter of life. For this momentary affliction, it is just a moment. But what God is working for us is eternal a far more eternal weight of glory. Church, that's good news. That gives us reason to not lose heart, but to rejoice in the Lord 
always. And again, I say rejoice. Amen.